Well, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm the worship pastor, and I'm so excited to bring the message of God to you today, the Word of God, which we know has so much power to speak into our lives. If you're joining us online, we just want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. Really want to encourage you to dive in. Get your Bible out and participate uh, this morning, even if you're at home. Uh, Don't you love these decorations? Isn't this beautiful in here? Amen. If if you see Kate encourage her, she was, Kate, you know, she's actually featured in our bulletin that Pastor Tom was just talking about. She came on staff this past summer to help us with worship and some other things, and she was really the lead person on this project. So if you see Kate, encourage her, thank her for all the hard work that she put into this to help us have some more festivity uh, during this season. And we're kicking off our Advent series, as Pastor Tom shared, and as we look into the Christmas season, what we really want to see What we really want to see for Fox Valley Church is to keep Christ at the center. And it sounds even kind of silly to say, right? Because Christ is in the word Christmas. (laughs) Yet we know there's so many cultural pulls, things in all different directions during the Christmas season, right? Family and and traditions and, and fun things to do and all these different things which are good can kind of pull us away, though, if we're not careful. And we want to hone in and focus on Jesus. And specifically today, we're going to talk about one way to keep Christ at the center, and that's through living on mission. Living on mission. And some of you know I am very, very passionate about living on mission, and so I'm very excited to preach this message. If you're ready, say amen. Amen. My wife could attest to this. Uh, one of the things about me, a uniqueness about me, is, is I really thrive off of physical and verbal affirmation. So uh, if I say something and Emily just looks at me blankly, I just keep saying it again, usually like louder and louder until I get a nod or I understand, Brad. So anyway, this morning, that's one way you can really bless me in worship, and I also think it'll serve you as well. If there's something that stands out to you, say amen. Give a moan, a groan, give a a clap or something like that. I know that always encourages my heart. I want to tell you a story, and this is a story to rewind about five years ago. Five years ago, Emily and I uh, were here at Fox Valley Church, and we had an apartment in Carpentersville. And at this apartment, we, we had neighbors, of course. You share walls with people. It's, I, I always find it a little easier to live on mission and apartment living because you're just passing people all the time. But we shared a wall with this couple. They're probably about 30, boyfriend and girlfriend, and they were living together. And Emily and I decided to kind of take a step of faith, and, and they were far from God. And so we hung out probably about four or five times. And it was really just interesting, the dynamics, right, and, and just all the things that, that is in a, a very far from God apartment. And, but we would hang out with them. And one specific night, I, I remember, and it was during the Christmas season, it was during the Christmas season, it was in December, and we got home, I don't know if we were running errands or we were on a date, I, maybe I took Emily somewhere really nice, you know. But anyway, we, we were getting home, we were, <laughs> we were getting home, and we heard this fight going on. And I mean, it wasn't like a, ooh, you know, he's, he's, he's going to be in trouble. And it was like a scary fight. And so Emily and I are just kind of listening outside the door, and I'm like, I got to intervene. So I knock on the door. I have no idea what I said, but I said something. Like, I'm here, I'm outside, this is weird, you guys should stop. You know, I don't know. I said something, I knocked on the door, they didn't respond. So then I knocked a little louder, and I said, hey, I need you guys, you know, essentially I need one of you guys to come out here. So she opened the door, and she tried to pretend like everything was fine. 
but she had tears and mascara. She was smiling. She's like, it's fine, but it wasn't fine, right? It was so obviously it wasn't fine. And Emily's right next to me, and so I just grab her, and I kind of put her with, with Emily, and we walk her to our apartment, and I say, hey, guy, I'm not going to use their names. I was just like, hey, we're, we're taking your girlfriend. So we, we then bring her over here kind of until you cool off. So, so we bring her into our apartment, and, and we just let her cry. We just listen to her. We're just there for her. We had no agenda, right? No agenda at all. It was, it was pretty scary. And so we're just there, and she's sitting on, I remember on the bench right when you walk in our apartment, and about 10 or 15 minutes in, the Lord strongly nudged, share the gospel. The Lord strongly nudged, share the gospel with this woman. And all these thoughts start going through my mind, right? What if she doesn't like what I have to say? I wasn't ready for this moment. I wasn't preparing for this right specific moment with, with this woman. I thought we had more time for develop a relationship even more. Like, well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if it's just really awkward to live next to each other? What if she thinks I brought her over here just to share this? What if, and all these questions start coming to mind. And the fear of rejection is real, y'all. It's real. So in that moment, in that moment, did Emily and I share the powerful gospel, or did we fear rejection and shy away? I'm going to get back to that in just a little bit and share with you what happened. But this morning, what I want to bring to you is this main idea that the text is bringing out, and that is the powerful story of Jesus leads to rejection and rejoicing. The powerful story of Jesus leads to rejection and rejoicing. And I want to frame it now in a question for you, in a question that's this Christmas, will you fear rejection or will you share and rejoice in the powerful story of Jesus? This Christmas, we have opportunities. Will you fear rejection or will you share and rejoice in the powerful story of Jesus? Our text today is Acts 13. You can go ahead and get your Bible or your devices out. Acts 13, verses 44 through 45. And, and while you're doing that, Acts chapter 13, I want to bring you into just the slightest bit of context. I do not have time to share much. Obviously, so much has happened in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. But in chapter 13 specifically, Paul and Barnabas are set apart by the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of the chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, they're gathered with prophets and teachers and elders, and they're praying and they're fasting for God. What's our next step? And the Holy Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas, and they are commissioned to go. I, I love that because don't we all want God to speak like so powerfully, like here's what I want you to do and here's where I want you to go, right? We long for that, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in this situation. Paul and Barnabas, they're commissioned, they go on a missionary journey to Cyprus, and now they land in Antioch and Pisidia. So that is where our story takes place, Antioch and Pisidia, and Paul is giving his first recorded speech, his first sermon here. He's preaching in the synagogue to Jews and Gentiles, and, and he preaches in chapter 13, he shares the gospel, he shares the story of Jesus, it's really the, the Christmas story, right? He shares that Jesus came to this earth, right? And he came to this earth as a baby, but then eventually he would die for your sins, and he is the Messiah. And that is the story that Paul shares. And now, a week later on the Sabbath, they're back in the synagogue. And here's where the story picks up. Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 49. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. 
But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, God, just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth it brings. Thank you for the solid ground it brings to all of us today, God. Would you use this as only you can use it, God, to speak and to minister to each of our hearts this morning, that we would know more about ourselves, we would know more about you and how to live, God. We love you so much. Would we be stirred that you call us to be a part of your mission? God, you didn't have to. You could go about it through other means, but you gave us this great commission to go and make disciples. God, you choose to use your people as a means to accomplish what you want to do. Thank you for using us, and don't let us miss it, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. 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 Let's go back to those first two verses. I'm going to break this down just a couple verses at a time. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. They liked the message, right? The the, the first Sabbath, some people gathered. The next Sabbath, it says almost the whole city gathered. Clearly, people brought their friends, their family, strangers, right? All kind of people. Now, the, the synagogue would have been smaller than this room, And I just think about a whole city coming to gather just outside, standing room only. When we think about Antioch, I I, want to relate it to our culture today. You had people that were all over the place, just like we do. You had people who were very far from God. You had people who wanted nothing to do with God. You had people who worshiped other gods. You had people who were spiritual, whatever that means, right? You had people who uh, were very religious. You had Jews who had these customs and traditions. And so people were all over the place, just like in Antioch, but they had one thing in common, and that was they wanted to hear this message. (laughs) They gathered to hear this message, and they had a powerful message, didn't they? A powerful message that Jesus was the Messiah. I I think about all the messages we're going to hear during this Christmas season, what to eat, when to listen to Christmas music, what kind of Christmas music to listen to, traditions, these different things that we can do. We're hearing messages, I don't, probably thousands, right, every single day. Back then, man, they didn't have these devices. You had to like do a word of mouth message, you know what I mean? It's crazy to think about that. And Paul and Barnabas have this message. We have, we have the message that everyone's looking for, whether they know it or not. Church, we do. It's a powerful message. Our text this morning says the word of the Lord four times. You see it there. I believe maybe it's just there once or twice, but but we'll see throughout the whole passage, four times it says the word of the Lord. It's highlighting its power, right? We know that that Paul wasn't eloquent with words. He says that to the the church at Corinth, but the message itself is what has power. You can be as enthusiastic as a preacher as you want to be, but this is what carries the power. It's the gospel message. Our first value at Fox Valley Church is the preeminence of God's word. So much stands on the Bible and scripture. 
And this is the message that we have this Christmas season. So Paul delivers this message, and, and what happens? We read, the Jews saw the crowds, and they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. You have these religious leaders, these Jews, who were probably many of them speaking in the synagogue. And let me tell you, the whole city didn't gather to hear them, right? And they're jealous. They're, they're jealous. And it leads to them reviling Paul, but not just Paul and Barnabas, right? Revile means like verbally abuse. Not just Paul and Barnabas, but, but even blaspheming Jesus. I think it's interesting because the Jews were open to an extent. Let me, let me just suggest, right? They're open to hearing Paul and Barnabas talk to an extent. They're open. I mean, they did come back a week later. They're open to maybe hearing about what God has done in the past. They're, they're open to, to reading Scripture, especially Old Testament Scripture. They're open to some of these things. But as soon as Paul and Barnabas get very specific, right, that's when the line and the division is drawn. And let me just say, I think it's similar today. You know, Emily and I have a friend, and she's, she's far from God, but she's very open to singing songs about Jesus, right? Christmas carols. She's very open to even going to like a nativity scene or, or just, you know, having decorations about baby Jesus, right? She even comes on Christmas Eve sometimes here to Fox Valley Church. But when we've gotten very specific and said, this is the only way to heaven, she wanted nothing to do with it. And I think that's what's happening with the Jews. I think that's what happens a lot in our culture. As we get more and more specific, people reject the message, and that's what the Jews did. They rejected the message. And so when you share the gospel, when you share the story of Jesus, I want you to know that some people are going to reject it. And that's my first point this morning, just comes out of the main idea, is that the story of Jesus leads to rejection. I'm not going to try to cheerlead you and talk about how amazing rejection is, and you should love it, and you should expect it, and, and all these things. We should expect it, but I know there's this discomfort with it. There's this feeling, it's like we were made to just almost be scared of it. We don't want other people to reject us. You know, all these questions come to our mind, like, will it be awkward over Christmas dinner if I say something about Jesus and someone's not cool with it? right? Our, our loved ones, our family, I don't want a wedge driven between myself and them. Or, or you didn't even think about strangers. What if I don't know what to say? Or what if they have questions and I can't answer? Or what if people hate me for saying there's only one way to get to heaven? In Luke 6, Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Jesus tells us we should expect rejection. I think of Matthew 10, where Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring the sword. What does that mean? It means Jesus as the Messiah is a very specific message. And those who accept it, yes, they will rejoice in it, and they will have peace with God. But those who do not accept it, they're going to have war with God you know, the, the stakes are really high. I, I think that's important for us to just, you know, know and, and kind of understand is the stakes are just very high. People, people are dying. You know, I could share all these statistics about people dying or how many die or how many non-believers die, but the stakes are high. Paul and Barnabas know the stakes, right? Jesus, right, knew the stakes were high. That's why his last big command was like, go and make disciples. But I, I also want to give you some encouragement, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit later, 
But my encouragement is even in rejection, you can rejoice. I just want you to know that. We're going to see Paul and Barnabas later in this chapter rejoicing amidst some rejection. And so I'm going to unpack that a little bit later. But we can rejoice even amidst rejection. Let's keep reading on with verses 46 and 47. Let's see how Paul and Barnabas respond to this rejection. It says this, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth." So how do Paul and Barnabas respond to rejection? It says they spoke boldly, as if they hadn't been speaking boldly, you know? I kind of laughed at that. I thought that was funny, as if they just started to speak boldly. They spoke boldly. They responded to the challenge. They say, the message first came to you. It, It makes sense it would come to you. You've been God's people for thousands of years. You're God's chosen people. So the message of of salvation should first come to you. But then he says, and this is bold, but you thrust it aside and therefore judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. He goes on to say, now we're turning our attention to the Gentiles. And he quotes the Old Testament. I love how we see these Old Testament prophecies just come true. I love how the Bible is so connected. It says in Isaiah 49, 6, he's quoting it, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. I, I want to share a lesson that I think Paul is giving us this morning. He's, he's giving this to you and he's giving this to me. And it goes something like this. When you think about living on mission, when you think about having spiritual conversations, it makes sense to start with your family. It makes sense to start with your loved ones, people who are closest to you, right? That's essentially what Paul is doing. He's going to the Jews, and he's he's starting to live on mission with them. But if they reject the message, if they reject the story of Jesus, I want to give you the freedom to move on. Now, I'm not saying give up, right? I mean, that would just be foolish. We have people, people in our church have been praying for their kids' salvation for 30 years And we could give other examples, and you should keep praying for them. Like in Romans 10.1, Paul says he's laboring over praying for the Jews. He's laboring over it. He's praying fervently that they would come to salvation in Jesus. But what does he do? He takes his evangelism efforts, and he moves to people who have soft hearts. And I think sometimes we get so focused on one person that we miss out on other opportunities for God to use us. And I, and I don't want us to miss out this Christmas. Now, before we get practical, I, I want to start by saying something that's so obvious to all of you. I know it's going to be so obvious. And that is, it starts with the heart. That is, it starts with the heart. It starts with a, a love and a compassion for other people. That's how mission starts. And it's one of those things that like we know that that's true, but I want to ask a couple questions to help you maybe gauge where you're at with this. My first question, and I'm going to put it in the person of I here, so do, do I take time to think about other people's destinies? Do I take time to think about other people's destinies? Do I want or desire to be used by God to change someone's destiny? Let me, let me press even a little bit more and ask, do I have time for God? 
Do I have time in my agenda? Do I have margin for God to do what he wants to do? And I, I don't mean just coming to church time. I, I don't mean doing a 20-minute devotional time. Those, those are great, great things. But I mean, do you wake up in the morning and you put your agenda metaphorically on the table and you say, God, what do you want me to do today? For every... Uh, time of doing this successful, there's probably 10 times of utterly failing at it. But on Monday, I was preparing my message, and of course, I think that's pretty important, and I don't want to be distracted. I put my phone on airplane mode, and I see a woman and her dog walk by my office, and I'm thinking, I don't have time for that, right? And then I'm like, no, you know, I've talked to her a few times, and I've prayed for her before, and I'm going to invite her to, to Christmas Eve. I had a Christmas card. Actually, there's one right here, one of these guys, and we're going to have these around the building over the next month. But I had one of these, and I, and I went out, and I prayed, and I'm like, I'm going to go invite her to Christmas Eve. And it took about three minutes out of my agenda, three minutes out of my scheduled time to just be open for God to use me in a different way. So it starts with caring for people. It starts for loving, with loving people. And, and after you grab hold of that, living on mission is really about intentionality. Here's something I kind of want to sum it up to take the pressure off you a little bit. It's living on mission is about bringing gospel intentionality into our everyday routines. Gospel intentionality into our everyday routines. I don't want you to think about you have to go on this mission trip. I want you to think about where are you already and how can you bring gospel intentionality there? For some of you, you're around people all the time who are far from God, and for you, it's just going to take kind of stepping outside, stepping outside your, your normal routine maybe, and leaving a little margin. But for other people, if you're like me, outside of sometimes, right, having conversations, spiritual conversations with people far from God at church, other than that, I have to like really go outside of my way to interact with non-Christians. Some of you now work from home, right? Does anyone still work in an office? Does that still? Okay, there's like two of you. That's good. <laughs> right? But, it, but it's, it's even getting harder. It does feel like culture's isolating itself in some different ways, and so it's going to take intentionality. And I want to give you a tool called 3D Living. Raise, if you've heard of 3D Living, raise your hand. Okay, a little over half. 3D Living is a tool that I want to give you. It involves developing relationships, discovering people's story, and discerning next steps. And the best way to unpack this is just to tell you a story, a story of, of doing this. And so um, I, I like to work out, and I was also in this season of, man, I need to, to interact with non-Christians. And so about three years ago, I got a, a, find the cheapest gym membership I could get at Anytime Fitness. I don't know, it was like 25 bucks a month or something. And, and I would go to Anytime Fitness, and truly, one of the reasons, probably the, the driving reason I got the gym membership was to put myself in relationship with people who are far from God. And I started developing a relationship with Shannon. Shannon was the gym manager. And so I just started to meet her. I just started to ask her some questions. It's always good to ask questions. Be inquisitive. Care about people, right? Ask questions. And so over weeks, I just was asking her questions, discovering her story. What makes you passionate about fitness? Tell me about your family. And over time, you start to get some idea of where she is spiritually and, and her background, her spiritual background, and all these things. And so Shannon really just started opening up. I, I think she, she knew that I cared about her. And it got to a point where I had to discern, what do I do with this? What does God want me to do with this? I prayed for her a couple times. 
But the gym was closing. I found out from Shannon that they weren't making any money and the owner wanted to close down the gym. And so I, I was back and I think it was going to close in a few days and I was on the treadmill and I started running and I was probably five minutes in when I saw Shannon just kind of sitting by herself in her office and the Lord nudged me and said, hey, go share the gospel. And of course, I'm thinking, no, I just started running. I'm just starting getting into this run. You know what I mean? But I get off the treadmill and I go in there and I just lay it all out there. Because you know what? I do believe that this message, the story of Jesus, has utter power. It, it doesn't even really matter exactly the way I deliver it, right? The, the scriptures tell us that the Spirit is going to come over us and give us what to say. Of course, we need to be ready to, have, or to explain the hope we have in Jesus, but we just have to trust that the Spirit will come over us. And so I'm there, and, and I'm sharing the gospel with her. And, and her eyes are just unveiled. And let me tell you, church, she prayed and accepted Jesus right there in her office. Amen? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. And it's so powerful to be used by God. It is so good because you're like, I couldn't make this happen if I wanted to, right? But God knows what he's doing. And God is nudging and he's prodding and he's directing. And so when you have a heart for people and then you start to get some tools, right, the next thing to do is just ask God for opportunities. Ask God for opportunities. And let me tell you, I'm not exaggerating. Zero exaggeration. Every single time in my life, I've asked God for a mission opportunity. He gave me one. Every single time. God's batting a thousand, right? hundred percent. Every single time God's provided an opportunity and one that just sticks out, although I could tell you story after story, is this past summer, again, I was in this just kind of dry spell of just focusing more internally, right? That just happens, I think, naturally to us and focusing on my family and all this, which is really, really good, but like, I'm like, God, I got to step outside. I got to start thinking about and caring about other people more. And so I prayed, I think it was a Tuesday. Yeah, it was a Tuesday. I prayed, God, would you please give me a mission opportunity? The next day, I had scheduled a meet with someone, had no plan to have a spiritual conversation with them. But God just wides open this door. And I share the gospel with this guy, and his eyes are unveiled, and he accepts Jesus. I pray with him right then and there, and I couldn't help. I called Emily on the way home, and I was like, you won't believe it. I just asked God for an opportunity, and he just placed this in my lap. Somebody got saving faith in Jesus, and it was amazing, and it was because of the power of, of the message of God, and that led to this guy and even me rejoicing. And that's the second point this morning is the story of Jesus leads to rejoicing. The story of Jesus leads to rejoicing, not just for the people who receive it, because that's certainly true, but it leads to rejoicing to the people who give it, to the messenger, and that's what I found personally time and time again. Let's read the last couple of verses now. Let's look at the Gentiles' response and then Paul and Barnabas' reaction in verse 48 and 49. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The Gentiles received the message, and they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. In our text, we see these two very drastic responses to the story of Jesus. These two very drastic, we have two groups, have a picture here to just kind of show you. These two groups, there's these people that you would expect to accept the message. The Jews, but they revile and reject it. And then these people that you would expect 
to reject it, the Gentiles, right, who worship other gods, who have had nothing to do with God, they receive and they rejoice. As I was thinking about this, I thought how similar in our culture, sometimes people that you would most expect to accept the gospel, people that grew up in the church, people who maybe have had a profession of faith before, uh, people who have had access to the Bible, who spend time, maybe even spend time with God, right? But they reject the message. And then you have other people, and I just think of a little bit of kind of the extreme, but a homeless person or an addict, and they're like, oh, there's a God that still loves and accepts me? Yeah, absolutely, I want to worship Him. And the people you least likely would expect find salvation. And so these Gentiles, right, knowing this salvation was for them too, caused them to rejoice. They believed. They rejoiced. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, as Lord of your life, I just want to encourage you to do that. You could leave here today. It'd be the best day of your life probably. You would be rejoicing as you left this morning. The Bible talks about believing that Jesus, that God came down, right? God the Father sent his son Jesus as a baby, right? The Messiah came as a child, and he lived a perfect life for you and me, and he died on the cross. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. And you can pray something like that. And if you have done that this morning, I want you to come forward after. We'd love to help you grow, help you take your next steps spiritually. Love to rejoice with you this morning. So um, five years ago, right, we're in our apartment, and there's this woman, she's about 30, and she's crying, and Emily and I are talking to her, and God opens the door for this opportunity, and he says, share the gospel with her. And let me tell you, Emily and I shared the gospel with her. All these fears of rejection were in our minds, but we're like, here's how you can have hope this Christmas. This is what Jesus has done for you. And I remember we even drew out this little diagram and showed her. And she looked at her and she looked at God and she said, it's so far. I'm so far away. And God was moving and I thought for sure, from my human standpoint, she, she's ready to give her life to Jesus. And all of a sudden, this is not going to end the way you thought. All of a sudden, it's like Satan got involved. And she goes, she's looking down. And she goes, wait, are you trying to do a Christian thing to me? I don't want that. And Emily and I looked at each other. We were shocked. It came out of nowhere. And we had to discern in that moment, we're not going to press anymore. We just said, we're here if you ever want to talk more about it. And we'll, we'll pray for you. We got rejected. We got rejected. There's a, a memory I have. And that is, it's, it's morning and I'm drinking coffee, probably doing a devotion at, at our breakfast table. This is at, at the apartment. And, and I start crying. I'm crying for our neighbors. I mean, crying, weeping for our neighbors because they didn't know Jesus. And I'll never forget it because Emily's right next to me. And right as a guy, he just, you know, there's some insecurities with crying and stuff, you know. Certainly insecurity with mood swings. And so anyway, I'm crying. And then I just start laughing. And I was embarrassed because I'm like, I don't want Emily to think I'm a maniac, you know what I mean? And I, I've had some friends talk to me about like heavenly laughter, and I don't know what to make about all that, but I do know in that moment, 
the Spirit came over me and gave me an utter sense of joy and rejoicing. And the only thing I can think of is I was probably more like Jesus in that moment than I've ever been because I'm weeping for lost people, because I cared about these lost people. And even though in rejection, there was this joy. And what, what really hits home for me this morning and, and what I want you to know is that it's not, it was not my job to save her. It was not Emily's job to save her. It's not your job to save one person. God does all the heavy lifting. Our obedience is not tied to the results. Our, excuse me, I said that wrong. Our success is not tied to the results. Our obedience, excuse me, our success is obedience to God. There we go. Our success is obedience to God, right? Amen. And so we can take some of this pressure off of ourselves because ultimately God was just calling Emily and I to be obedient. God was calling Paul and Barnabas to be obedient. There's a quote by Dustin Willis, and I want to read it here. It's on the screen. It says, the fact that God is on his throne and that Jesus is building his church should bring us great relief. We can release any unnecessary pressure or worry that ministry may tempt us to carry and trust that God will accomplish what he has set out to do. God is in control. We just get the opportunity. God chooses to use us, right? We get to be part of it. Paul and Barnabas knew what their job was, and they were successful. They were obedient. They knew the message that they carried. The story of Jesus had power. And they also knew, as it says in the quote, that Jesus promised to build his church. And so no matter what response was given back to them, they could rejoice. And look at how our text even ends. It says that that, that they were leaving, filled with joy. They were run out of town. Y'all, they were run out of town by the Jews, and they're leaving, it says, filled with the Spirit and filled with joy. They're rejoicing after being rejected by so many people. And I love it. It goes on to say at the end of, of, of verse 49, it says that, that these new converts were going out and spreading the gospel throughout the whole region. Paul and Barnabas, they were leaving. They were kicked out of town. But these new converts were spreading the word to the entire region. Our vision at Fox Valley Church is to see a Christ-centered revolution of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what happened to Antioch? What happened to Antioch is a gospel message is shared on the Sabbath. A week later, day eight, A church is born, a church for hundreds of years that would thrive. What happened in Antioch is a revolution, a transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sometimes God calls us to these long-suffering situations, and I want to be sensitive to that. I know that. Like, you pray for someone, and God just doesn't answer your prayers like you want Him to, or doesn't do it in the time frame you want. But sometimes God does what He did in Antioch. Sometimes God does what he does in these stories I've shared, and he answers things immediately, right away in power. And so what I want to leave you with this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe in the power of this gospel message? Do you believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can come upon you, that you could share the gospel with utter clarity that you could never even fathom, that you could share with someone maybe you don't even know you could lead to Christ, that a family member who has rejected the message for 30 years, that God could change that this Christmas? Do we have belief, Box Valley Church, that these things can happen? 
And we step out in faith. We step out in obedience. And then we can rejoice no matter what happens because we're obeying God. And so what I want to encourage you, this Christmas season, I thought of this yesterday. I'm I'm walking our kids uh, on, on the stroller and I thought, what if, what if every single person that's here at church tomorrow, so this is yesterday, every single person that's at church tomorrow went and shared one spiritual conversation with a person in this area. I mean, like 400 spiritual conversations in this area, in this community. What, like, what would God do with that? And so I just want to invite you, take a step of faith. Take a step of faith this Christmas season. And may, maybe you just want to challenge yourself, one, one person. But first, remember what I said, you've you got to pray for the heart. It's got to start with the heart. You know, and you have these tools you can use and ask God to bring an opportunity. And I promise, he is going to bring light into darkness. There's not one person that God can't save. And we are called to have belief. God, help us with our unbelief. Father God, I just want to thank you this morning for your word that you've given to us, God. I want to thank you that you have the power for light to break through the darkest areas. God, that people who are so far from you can find saving faith in Jesus, not because of our own strength, but because of the power of the message of God. The story of Jesus has the power to save. I think of Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power to save First to the Jew, then to the Greek. God, we believe in the power of God. We believe these things. Would you help our belief this morning, God? And would you give us an opportunity to be used by you in this community, God? We pray for a revival. God, we pray for a revolution of transformation to happen. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.